perhaps be here for the first time and wonder, what is this lifting up the Torah and processing it around the congregation? Let me explain. Everything we do in here points to the one for whom it was always intended to point to. Yeshua. And so we lift up the Torah or the Word of God because John 1, 1 tells us in the beginning was the Word and the Word was not only with God but that Word was also God. And then that Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. And so when we lift up that Torah we are not glorifying an icon, nor are we glorifying that icon when we process it around the congregation. We are simply reminded that Yeshua said in the book of John, he said, I, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself. Amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone. On the morning of October 7th, Simchat Torah, on what is now being called the most horrible day for Jewish people since the Holocaust of Nazi Germany, armed Hamas militants from the Gaza Strip breached a border fence and entered the Holy Land of Israel by land and air and sea. They attacked several kibbutzim. You've heard that term used. Nobody really explains it to you. It is a community of people, an environment of people who, who subsist and sustain themselves within a community. These are simply people who desire to go from day to day, who appreciate the, the sanctity of family, of love, of singing songs, of fellowship, of simply getting together. And these people and several of these kibbutzim were attacked, and also those who were attending a music festival, mowed down by Hamas militants, killing hundreds of men, women, and children. Yes, decapitating babies, yes, it has been confirmed. Yes. And kidnapping hostages. Right now, more than 27 Americans are among the dead, and another 14 are still unaccounted for. More than 5,000 Subsequent rocket attacks destroyed Israeli homes, vehicles, property. As of this morning here, because it's evening now in Israel, the death toll is more than 1,300 Israelis and more than 2,200 Palestinians. Israeli troops, since the past three or four days, if not longer, have dropped more than 6,000 bombs on the Gaza Strip and warned residents in the northern part of the Gaza Strip to flee south as a ground operation is about to be underway. Israeli's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says we're hitting our enemies hard and this is just the beginning. As we're trying to make sense of it all, there's much confusion. Much confusion in the news that we're hearing because one source says one thing, another source says another thing, and another source says another thing. And we don't know whom to believe. And on top of that, how can we possibly wrap our, 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 our minds around what's been going on and, and try to put everything that, it, it, that is confusion into some type of order so at least, even though we, we can't comprehend it, at least we can understand it. 
I'm making a differentiation between those two words this morning. So I want to help you understand what's going on, why it's going on, who the players are, where this came from, and where it's likely to go. First of all, let's begin this way. As many of you know, over the past week, week and a half, you've been hearing countless times that ground zero, if you will, in this war is called the Gaza Strip. Many people have heard of the Gaza Strip, but they don't exactly know what it is or where it is. So let me point this out to you. In fact, let me go up on the stage so that I can point a little bit better than perhaps this laser can. The small map in the lower right-hand corner, as you can see, is the land of Israel. Inside this little red box, from the southwest corner of Israel, extending from Israel to the land of Egypt, is this narrow, narrow stretch of land. Very, very dense, very heavily populated, 25 miles in length, 6 miles across, known as the Gaza Strip. To give you an idea of its relative size, think of the city of Philadelphia. Philadelphia, 141 square miles. But Philadelphia, if you will, has a population of 1.5 million people. Now take that same land area and throw another million people on top of it. That's called crowded. That's called very, very close. That's called the Gaza Strip. But what exactly is going on in the Gaza Strip? And, and for many of you, this should not have been the first time that you've ever heard of the Gaza Strip. You probably heard of the Gaza Strip, it's been in the news so many times, the 2014 Gaza War. And of course, many of us are familiar with what happened in the year 2005, when a proposal was made for something called Land for Peace. And here was the idea, and here is the idea behind Land for Peace, Israel neighbors have been saying all along, you know, there would just be peace and we would stop bombing you and hurling rockets and digging tunnels to hurt innocent people if we could just have a little bit of your land. And so in 2005, Israel, under the leadership at that time, the Prime Minister Ariel Sharon, relented and decided to give this Gaza Strip, this strip of land, by the way, which it had acquired in the Six Day War in 1967, they said, let's give it to the Palestinians. Let's see if we can have that two-state solution that so many politicians will are talking about and are enthusiastic and saying, come on, it will work. All right, let's do it. There was not full support in the Knesset. There was support in opposition. But Prime Minister Ariel Sharon said, okay, I think we can try it. And it will work. My friends, I want you to be informed. So why don't we start by dispelling the myth of the idea of land for peace. Because that land was given to Hamas in 2005, and I'll tell you a little bit more about who they are in a few minutes, but when Israel got out of the land, it was not a good day. In 2005, there had been Jewish settlers and families living there for many, many years in peace, and on one day, one swoop, in one moment, their, their neighbors, Israeli police arresting Israelis and crying together, saying, I know these are your homes but you need to leave them. We'll find other homes for you in other parts of the land. You need to leave your homes. We need to get out of here. We need to give it to the Palestinians because that's the only way that there will be peace. And they not only left their homes, 
But they said, you know what, let's extend another olive branch of peace. We have a wonderful business here with greenhouses and plants and irrigation, and we're growing plants and crops, and it's making us money. Leave it here for the Palestinians so that when they come in, they'll have a business right off the bat to be able to help them. Let's extend that olive branch in the spirit of love. And the whole world assured that don't worry, it will be returned. It was only days after Israel got out that the Palestinians came in. And that wonderful business they had been left with, those greenhouses where Israel said, this is a gift to you, we want to bless you. The answer from the Palestinians was that. They came in and they tore it all down. The greenhouses, the glass, smashed, the plants, kept them dead. They took the irrigation hoses and cut them into little pieces. And when people ask why, why would you do this? We were trying to help you. The answer from the Palestinians was, we don't need any help from any Jews. We can do fine on our own, thank you very much. And so as you can see, the housewarming gift was not exactly well received. And Israel basically said, all right, well, at least they'll live in peace next to us side by side. After all, that's why they said they wanted the land, and that's why the world said we should give them the land, because now they will live in peace. And after the greenhouses were taken down, the artillery went up. And since 2005, my friends, the Gaza Strip has been used as a launching pad to destroy the nation of Israel. Not the greatest decision by Ariel Sharon. And Hamas has been attacking from there ever since. But who are they? Who is Hamas? You continue to hear about them in the news. Who are they? What are they? Yes, they're a terrorist group, but they had to come from somewhere. Let me give you the background. Hamas is an Islamist militant organization that was set up in the Gaza Strip actually in 1987. They were an offshoot of what was called the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. They were surprise victors in the Palestinian elections. Now listen to this. That was 2006, and since that time, all of their opponents have been ousted. No elections have been held in 2006, since 2006, and Hamas maintains political control over Gaza. They believed in armed resistance against Israeli occupation, and here's what they say. Never mind CNN, never mind BBC, and don't even get me started with Al Jazeera. But here's what they say. Only through the Quran, the gun and the sword, can they deliver Palestinian statehood. Do you understand that that means to them there is no peaceful solution? So we have this, this, oh I don't know this, call it a conundrum, call it something else, I can't even think of the word right now, where the media and the world and politicians are saying, let's try for a peaceful solution, and the other side keeps saying, you're not hearing us. We've told you over and over and over, we don't want one. So let's talk about the solution that they tried to bring. First, at Kibbutz Be'eri, on this day last week, heavily armed militants arrived on motorbanks to the Kibbutz, less than a half a mile away from the Gaza border. Look, this is not new. If you go to Israel, there are Kibbutzim spread all over the land. Several years ago, Sandy and I went to a Kibbutz that you could take a stone and throw it, and when that stone lands on the other side, it's Lebanon, and there are terrorists there. Once popular as a weekend getaway, this was a place where Israelis went for a weekend, there were artist colonies there, you'd go, you'd sit in the coffee cafe. This kibbutz instead became the site of a massacre. 
As children were butchered, more than 100 bodies were found, and several hostages were also killed. Following that, let's talk about another kibbutz, an area called Kefaraza. Around 70 Hamas militants attacked Kefaraza, a kibbutz two miles from the border of the Gaza Strip. Families were murdered in their beds, hostages were abducted. Media reports that 40 babies had been burnt and decapitated, yes, have been confirmed by the Jerusalem Post. And early this morning, I was, I, I was watching online a report from, from Anderson Cooper from CNN. And I know I normally don't watch, watch CNN, but this report was very, very good because he showed that he was in a, a, a safe house, if you will, in a part of Israel called Re'im, which is also very, very close to Gaza. It's a safe house where you can go and protect yourself. And some, some, some 30 people had gone into that safe house to protect themselves because just a few minutes earlier at an all-night Nova music festival there, Hamas militants came in on vans and paragliders. You can see them in the photo, the paragliders, and began shooting indiscriminately, mowing down more than 250 people, looting their belongings, and taking an unknown number of hostages. And yes, the reports that you've been hearing are correct. Hamas is funded by Iran. And I know when so many of you heard that, your mind went to, wait a minute, didn't we just give Iran $6 billion for humanitarian purposes? Didn't we, taxpayers, say to the U.S. government, take our money and give it to Iran and they'll use it the right way? Part of the story is true, part of the story is not. Let me give you the facts. Regarding the $6 billion, here's the claim. The United States gave the $6 billion to Iran. This money was used to fund the Hamas attack. That's false. False the funds haven't been given just yet. They are still being held in a bank in Qatar. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, who, by the way, came to Israel in the past week and had meetings with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who is in or was just in Qatar and who is going through the Middle East, and who, by the way, is also Jewish. Imagine that. Blinken said no U.S. taxpayers were involved. These were Iranian resources from the sale of their oil that was stuck in a bank in South Korea. The money can only be used for humanitarian, for humanitarian purposes. Now, here's the irony. Listen very close to what I'm about to read to you. This is from Iran's president, Ibrahim Raisi. He was told, please, use this money. Do you agree to use this money for humanitarian purposes? And President Raisi said, absolutely, yes. And then, here's what he said when the reporters weren't looking. Humanitarian means whatever the Iranian people need, and or but, the needs of the Iranian people will be decided and determined by the Iranian government. Do you see the irony in that? So yes. Will it be used for humanitarian purposes? Yes, it will be used for whatever purposes the government has considered or does consider humanitarian. How many even know they really don't have a good track record for that? The reaction from the attacks to the expected Prime Minister Netanyahu. We saw the beasts, the barbarians with whom we are fighting. We saw children bound, shot on the head. Men and women burned alive. Young women who were raped, butchered, fires whose heads were cut off. We are fighting with all our might on all fronts. We have gone on the attack. Hamas is not just like ISIS or similar to ISIS. They are ISIS. And we will crush and eliminate it, just as the world crushed and eliminated ISIS. 
By the way, just so you know, when the world, particularly the United States and others, crushed ISIS, no one, no one told anyone to exercise restraint then. And they shouldn't be saying it to Israel now. Here's some more reaction, if you will, from Isaac Herzog, the president of Israel. He was responding to a reporter's question of Israel's response now in Gaza equates to war crimes. Wrong comment to make. Here's what President Herzog said. If you have a missile in your, you can fill in that blank, I'm not going to do it, I'm your rabbi. If you have a missile in your kitchen and you want to shoot it at me, am I allowed to defend myself? Yes. That is the situation. These missiles are there. The missile comes up from their kitchen onto my children. Humanity has to decide, are we accommodating terror or are we fighting terror? We are fighting terror. Unfortunately, in their homes, there are missiles shooting at us, at my children, on the entire nation of Israel. We have to defend ourselves, and we have the full right to do so. And it's about time that the world understands this. This is the tragedy of using terror, and there is no mercy to terror. Earlier this week, uh, from, uh, from the White House, President Biden made comments about this situation as well, perhaps the most powerful, powerful words we've ever heard out of President Biden regarding the nation of Israel. Here's some of what he said. There are moments when pure, unadulterated evil is unleashed on this world. Israel lived through one such moment this weekend. Parents butchered using their bodies to try and protect their children. Babies being killed, entire families slain. Young people massacred while attending a music festival to celebrate peace. Peace. Women raped, assaulted, paraded as trophies, infants in their mother's arms, grandparents in wheelchairs, Holocaust survivors abducted and held hostage. It's abhorrent. This is terrorism. But sadly for the Jewish people, it's not new. So in this moment, we must be crystal clear. We stand with Israel. We stand with Israel. And we will make sure Israel has what it needs to take care of its citizens, defend itself, and respond to this attack. Hamas does not stand for the Palestinian people's right to dignity and self-determination. Its stated purpose, Hamas's stated purpose, is the annihilation of Israel and the murder of Jewish people. And they use Palestinian civilians as human shields. Finally, somebody said it. Right. Let there be no doubt. The United States has Israel's back. We will make sure Israel can defend itself today, tomorrow, as we always have. Mr. President, thank you. But let's see some of what he said, because, again, this idea of land for peace, a two-state solution, continues, continues to be promoted and carted around as if it's merchandise that everyone will pick up. It's not going to work. Why don't we stop being drawn into the lie that there will be a two-state solution? Here's the problem with a two-state solution. It takes two states to accept it. Let me take you into the charter of the terrorist group Hamas so that you'll know how they feel about it. Here it is, everybody. There's a copy of their charter. And here are some statements out of the Hamas charter, revised charter of Hamas 2017. Israel will exist until Islam, who lives right next to it, uh, brings over apple pies as a housewarming gift and says, welcome to the neighborhood. No, until Islam obliterates it. And listen to this. 
Because in the Hamas Charter, it gives the borders of a Palestinian state. See if these borders sound familiar to you. It says Palestine extends from the River Jordan in the east, I want you to get this so far, to the Mediterranean in the west, from Lebanon in the north to Egypt in the south. This is the home of the Palestinian people. There shall be no recognition of the legitimacy of the Zionist entity. Are you hearing this? It's in black and white, folks. And then, of course, finally, and perhaps most worrisome, peaceful solutions to resolve the Palestinian problem. Let's sit down and talk. Let's come up with a two-state solution. Let's give you more land like we did with the Gaza Strip, because that worked out really well. Peaceful solutions to resolve the Palestinian problem are all contrary. No, we don't want a peaceful solution. That is not consistent with the beliefs of Hamas, the Islamic resistant Movement. Are we starting to get a clue now? So the idea of a two-state solution? No, my friends. You see that? That's reality. Several years ago, when I was in the old city of Jerusalem, when I got to the Arab Quarter, and I saw a merchant selling this, and, and I said, this is interesting. I said, what is that shape? Why do you have it in that shape? He said, oh, that is the shape of the land of the occupiers right now, the Zionist entity. And this is our heart. This is our desire that they will all be gone and we will be in there. That all of it, all of it, all of it belongs to us. And I said, I think I'll buy one because I wanted you to see it. Because I wanted you to know these things are real. And what about the idea, as President Biden said, that Hamas uses people as human shields? Do you know that there are still people around the world who don't believe that? Well, come on. They would never use their own people as human shields. What if we had proof from Hamas themselves that says they do? Here it is. It's too easy. This is Hamas spokesman and political leader Fatih Hamad. Listen to his comments here. For the Palestinian people, death has become an industry. The elderly excel at this, and so do the children. This is why we have formed human shields of the women and the children. You have your proof? And of course, knowing that Hamas uses people as human shields, when Israel initiated several days ago their plans to come into the Gaza Strip, they realized that innocent Palestinians would need to get out or Hamas would use them as human shields. And so what did Israel do? Well, it, you know, you might say that, uh, my goodness, uh, I, I guess you could say it was snowing over the Gaza Strip the other day. But it wasn't snow, it was leaflets. And in fact, if you see that blue background there, those white markings, those are leaflets dropped out, down from Israeli warplanes. So the residents in the Gaza Strip could pick them up. On the left side, that's what the leaflets look like in Arabic. Here's what essentially the leaflets said in English. Evacuate south for your own safety and the safety of your families. Distance yourself from Hamas terrorists who are using you as human shields. Anyone who is near Hamas terrorists will put their lives in danger. Don't return to your homes until further notice from the Israel Defense Forces. We need all public and known shelters in the city of Gaza. So Israel is saying to these people, we're going to be attacking in the north because that's where Hamas is. We don't want you to get hurt. The problem is they're holding you as human shields to protect their own lives. So the only way to get the enemy is to separate you. You get out so that we can get in. 
Amasa's response? To be expected. What do you think they said? Ignore the leaflets and stay put in your places. We will die and not leave. Ellen Dershowitz, the uh, well-known attorney and law professor, uh, uh, has seen this many, many times, as many of us remember from the 2014 Gaza War. And he says, he says, you know, Hamas has a term, it's called the CNN strategy. The strategy is to induce Israel into killing Palestinian children by using them as human shields, and then go and take the bodies and parade the bodies out on CNN, and guess what happens? People will blame it on Israel when the entire blame and fault is on Hamas, on the Palestinians. Hamas is using their children as human shields. There you have it. And people who don't want to accept the truth, this is why Israel is so insistent in letting the world know we are separating you. Get out. And as the television news broadcasts are showing people getting out of the way and going south, Israel is finally hoping that the world will get a clue and say, see, Israel made efforts to save those civilians, unlike Hamas, which goes and mows down everyone. So let's talk, if you will, about another myth, and this one tends to be heard over and over and over again. Well, Israel is occupying Palestinian territory. If Israel would just get out of Palestinian ter ter territory, we wouldn't be shooting them in the first place. This is all about occupation. I've got a couple of responses. Not just for me, but for you, because part of the reason that I'm sharing this with you today is because it's about time we had answers to a world that's blind. The myth of occupation. Take a look, my friends. Biblically, I'm sorry, the land belongs to Israel. Is it being occupied? Yeah, by the other team. Genesis 15, 18. On that day, the Lord made an agreement with Abram and said, Abram, I will give to your descendants the land between the river of Egypt and the great river Euphrates. That's east-west. Numbers 34 gives you the rest of the borders. And when you've got that, you can connect the dots. And here it is. You see everything that's in that black border over there? That's what Israel is supposed to be. So let's see what's in there. Well, Israel is in there. Thank God for that. But right now, Israel is only occupying about one-tenth, less than one-tenth of the land that God gave her. Let's see, Egypt is there, Jordan is there, I see Syria, Iraq, I see the northwest corners of Saudi Arabia and Kuwait, and I also see a little bit of Turkey. And yet a number of those nations are saying Israel is the occupier, and it's not, shouldn't be a surprise, because the way that the devil works is that he accuses you of what he's guilty of. Occupation? Occupation. I want you to read some comments here. This is from former Hamas leader Khaled Michel. This is why everybody was wondering what was going to happen yesterday. He was the one who made this call for a day of rage. He said, mobilize for jihad and gather around the world on Friday for a day of rage. Go out, harm Israelis and Jews around the world. Show anger and carry out global jihad. Now hold that thought. Go after Jews around the world on a day of rage, because it's about occupation, everybody. Let me make this even clearer. You've heard about Hezbollah, which is the terrorist group to the north, that decided that they wanted to join the party, so that they, they shot some missiles at Israel this week, and Israel shot back, and Hezbollah has been somewhat quiet since then. But it's interesting, because their leader, Sheikh Hassan Nasrallah, says this, kill the Jews wherever you find them. Why? Because it's all about occupation. So my friend, if you, well, I don't know, let's say just happen to be going on vacation in Australia, and you're a radical Muslim, and you find Jews there, kill them there! 
Because it's all about occupation. Because Israel is obviously occupying the Gaza Strip. My friends, if it were all about occupation, why murder people in countries around the world that are so far away from Israel, they couldn't occupy Gaza, even if they wanted to. Let's talk about another myth, and my goodness, all you have to do is listen to the mouths of those who are part of what's called the squad. The myth of apartheid, you hear this every single day, and, and all people do is echo it and parrot it, and they have no idea what they are talking about. And, and you know what's interesting? I was sent to, uh, where was I? I was at a church in Missouri or, or uh, West Virginia uh, this past week. And I said, all right, by a show of hands, and it's okay if you don't know, how many of you, and there were about 200 people in there, I said, how many of you know what the definition is of apartheid? Raise your hand if you know. And nobody did. I said, that's okay. I'm not doing that to fault you. But I'm doing this because I think people don't actually know what apartheid means when it's used. So let me give you the proper definition. Here it is, everybody. Apartheid is a policy or system of segregation or discrimination against someone on the grounds of race, color, creed, or their culture. And of course, uh, the, 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 the squad marches in. In 2021, AOC said this, apartheid states like Israel are in democracies. And of course, not to be outdone, the representative from the 12th District of Michigan, Rashida Tlaib, said this, the failure to recognize the violent reality of living under siege, occupation, and apartheid makes no one safer. As long as our country provides billions in unconditional funding to support the apartheid government, this heartbreaking silent cycle of violence will continue. And we know what government she was referring to. So here's the claim. Israel is discriminating against other people, the Palestinians on their race, creed, whatever it is, discrimination. You ready for some facts? Keep these in mind. You're going to need them because you're going to want to give people answers. And here are some really good ones. Fact number one, 20% of Israel's population is Palestinian. They enjoy, or Arab Muslim, and they enjoy the exact same rights as the Jewish citizens of Israel. Let me say that again, so that far and wide when this goes out, people like AOC and Rashida Tlaib and Ayanna Presley and Cori Bush can hear it as well. From this pulpit. 20% of Israel is Arab Palestinian. The population. They enjoy the same, same exact rights as Jewish citizens of Israel. They have the right to vote. They have the right to have jobs. They have the right to freedom of the press, the freedom of speech. Everything is the same. Fact number two, one of Israel's Supreme Court judges is a Palestinian. Fact number three, in Israel's Knesset, where there are currently 120 or so members, 10 of those members are Arab, Muslim, Palestinian. They are given seats at Israel's highest level of government. In fact, one of them, Mansour Abbas is his name. You remember the transitional government that was under the predecessor of, 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 of uh, Netanyahu? His name was Naftali Bennett. His government lasted for about a year, but uh, guess who Naftali Bennett's housing minister was? Mansour Abbas, a Palestinian. Fact number four, and I'm so glad that my wife referenced this before, because it, it points it right out. Harvard study, 80% 
of Palestinians say they'd rather live in Israel than in, in, in any Arab country. And, and even a poll from the other team confirms this. Listen to this. A poll by the Palestinian Center for Public Opinion found that more than half, more than half of the Palestinians living in Israel prefer to be citizens of Israel rather than citizens of an Arab state. Well, guess what? It looks like we've got a good marriage here because those Palestinians don't want to go to an Arab state. And oh, P.S., those Arab states don't want them. Not Egypt, not Jordan, not Syria. There's a reason why they don't want them. Because they don't want terrorism. So let's have Israel deal with it. And you wouldn't believe how many people buy into the Kool-Aid. And I'm sorry, I know he's a good actor, but several years ago, Mark Ruffalo did. And let me show you what he said on Twitter. And thank goodness a week later he straightened it out. But boy, was this a mess. He said in the 2000, uh, uh, during 2021, when there was another skirmish between Israel and Hamas, he said, over 30 children killed, mothers dead, hundreds injured. We are on the brink of a full-scale war. Sanctions on South Africa help free its black people because South Africa was guilty of apartheid. So it's time for sanctions on Israel to free Palestinians because Israel's guilty of apartheid too. Free Palestinians join the call. And then I don't know who, but I'm thankful that somebody got a hold of them and said, look, do you know the facts? Can we sit down for a cup of coffee for an hour and let me fill you in on reality? And when Mark Ruffalo was filled in on reality, he did the right thing. He corrected his mistake within a week. Seven days later, here's what he said. I have reflected and I want to apologize for posts during the recent Israel-Hamas fighting that suggested Israel is committing genocide. No. It's not accurate. In fact, it's inflammatory, it's disrespectful, and it's being used to justify anti-Semitism here and abroad. Now is the time to avoid hyperbole. Good for you, Mark Ruffalo. Finally, somebody does the right thing. Finally. Don't you wish everybody would? It is not unusual, and if you haven't noticed this, or maybe you have, have you noticed that if you watch news uh, footage of, of protests and, and people who, who try to sanction and go against Israel, they, they, they tend to be younger folks. And listen, it's not just your imagination. There's an, there's an organization called Faithwire that reported that, and even said support for Israel takes a nosedive among young believers, Christian evangelicals, the survey finds. A University of North Carolina survey found 33% of young evangelicals who identify themselves as believers in Yeshua. We're Christians. 33% age 8 to 29 said they support Israel in the Palestinian conflicts. Three years earlier, 69% of them did. Over a three-year period, two-thirds of support from younger evangelicals has just gone poof. It's disappeared. It's on. Why? What is it that's going on? Liberal college professors? Sure, that's part of the story, but here's another part. It's something the Jerusalem Post calls, and they're absolutely right, liberation theology. Liberation theology emphasizes Yeshua's teachings on social justice, portraying him as the great emancipator of the poor and oppressed, and therefore sees the Palestinians as victims, and Israel as the aggressor. And as a result, it claims Israel engages in apartheid based on policies toward Arab citizens and building new settlements, and the effects of the security border wall. That's another thing that people bring up. So why don't we talk about this? Why don't we dispel the myth about the border wall? 
Listen, I receive emails so often in Jewish Voice Ministries that deal with this topic. People saying, you know, if Israel was truly kind, then they would they would uh, knock down, they wouldn't have put up that border wall to keep Palestinians out. This is terrible. And how many of you have heard of the past three days, those who support this cause, this Palestinian cause of Hamas saying, let's not fair, Palestinians are living in an open-air prison. Gosh, I wish they had the facts. I had a similar conversation like this several years ago, and yeah, I'm going to mention his name, I don't care. His name is Pastor Brian McNary. And he pastors a church in Brandon, Manitoba, Canada. And I was talking with him, we got into a conversation by email, and he said, look, he said that idea of blessing Israel, and you will be blessed. He said, forget it, that's gone, that's gone. They don't believe in it. They don't deserve any blessing at all. I said, can you give me a couple of reasons why? He said, yeah, let's talk about that border wall. He said, Jack, the checkpoints and walls built by Israel prevent the movement of Palestinians in and out of the country. It's terrible that they put the wall up. And then I wrote back to him and I said, hey, Brian, let me ask you a question. 50,000 Palestinians move in and out through those checkpoints and walls every single day. That's 350,000 a week. I said, Pastor Brian, why were on the one hand when Israel put up walls and fences to keep Palestinians out, and then each week let in more than a quarter of a million of them? Doesn't that kind of defeat their purpose? I said, let me tell you what's happening here. The ones prevented from doing so, from going through the wall, the ones that you're referring to, are the terrorists who murder innocent women and children. Sorry, but Israel doesn't want them coming in. Imagine that. Since the wall did go up, fewer innocent, it, it, fewer Israelis and the Palestinians who also live in Israel have died. Are you suggesting, Pastor, that Israel should take the wall back down, that the death toll on both sides can go back up? Guys, I don't pull any punches. I don't care. I don't care. I'm not going to let them get away with their nonsense. Oh, and by the way, I haven't heard from that pastor since. And I've been so tempted to send him an email over the past few days saying, now that the wall was breached, now do you believe me? But you know what the book of Romans says? A person needs to be convinced about something in their own mind. I'm going to let God deal with him. But the, 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 the manipulation is that the, the deceiving is out there. And then, of course, what has already followed? The protests in different areas of the world, but listen, also in our own country. Because the day after this massacre on Saturday, you know what happened on Sunday? Times Square, New York, everybody, here it is. Times Square, New York, is only about, if you were able to walk it, maybe take a little over an hour, hour and 15 minutes, four miles away from the 9-11 memorial. And as I'm listening to this on the radio, I said, Lord, how ironic that these protesters are supporting and defending those who have the same ideology as the terrorists who flew planes into the World Trade Center, which is only four miles away, and the Pentagon, and a rural field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, and killed thousands of Americans on 9-11. You are supporting the same people who killed fellow Americans. Are you happy now? Do you get it? Are your eyes even open? And then, of course, the colleges had to chime in, too. And you know, it was once supposed to be, if you will, an honor. You got in Yale? You got into Harvard? These are Ivy League schools. Wow, how did you do that? I don't know about you. I don't think so much of them anymore. Because it seems that they are producing people who have such ridiculous liberal ideas, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars for an education that's totally false. 
Think we've got better places to put our money. Like, here's what happened, for example, at Harvard University. The Harvard-Palestine Solidarity Committee, 34 student groups signed a letter saying that they hold the Israel regime entirely responsible. Listen, if, if Hamas comes in and cuts off a kid's head, it's Israel's fault. My, that's new to us. Listen, if you're a Jew, you have known almost since the day that you were born that if anything bad happens on the face of the earth, no matter where it is, it's your fault. If somebody gets bitten by a mosquito in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and has to go into the hospital and they're, they're there for a week, it's the Jews' fault. Hunter College in New York City. Uh, this is a gentleman from Fox News on the left who was interviewing this woman, a Palestinian protester. In response to babies beheading, he said, how do you feel about that? She said, that's false. That is actually false. Israel is notorious for creating propaganda so that they can massacre Palestinians. And meanwhile, by the way, another Hamas operative was caught the other day, and on television he said, yes, we did cut the baby's heads off. But then, well, why bother with facts? Come on. And, and, and here's another. By the way, did you see this? This came, now this is from one chapter. One chapter. This is Black Lives Matter in Chicago put this out on Twitter, showing one of the Hamas paragliders coming in, look at the flag of Palestine, and on the top it says, that is all, that is it. Now, on the bottom they said, after intense criticism, the chapter said, we sent out messages we aren't proud of. We stand with Palestine and the people who will do what they must do to live free. It's still a nebulous statement. And, but, but look, I was absolutely mortified because there's an organization out there that sounds very, very similar to the organization that I'm also a part of. I'm part of Jewish Voice Ministries International. And in my mind, if you're Jewish, you support the biblical cause. But there's another organization out there called Jewish Voice for Peace. And they're not exactly the same thing, because they are Jews, and here's a Jewish woman standing, looks like New York, holding up a sign that says, anti-Zionist Jew for Palestinian liberation. She says, this is a crisis. The Israeli government has declared a genocidal war on Palestinians in Gaza, with no regard for the lives of civilians or Israeli hostages. Yes, even my own people are blind, too. And listen, this is not limited to New York and Harvard and back east. Folks, it happened here. Let me tell you about two things. Several days ago, a Palestinian student group at the University of Arizona in Tucson wanted to hold a rally, and the president basically said, no, you're not going to hold that rally. That's nonsense. And after the president said that, this Palestinian group issued a statement basically saying, well, we were going to hold the rally, uh, but we have decided to cancel it. Get a load of this. They basically said this, uh, because we are afraid. Afraid of a college professor making a statement, you can't do something. Yes, we're scared, we're afraid. However, the other day, a protest did occur, right here in Tempe, on the campus of Arizona State. Said, today we held a successful rally in solidarity with Palestine and the innocent civilians being massacred in Gaza by the Israeli government. Thank you and free Palestine. Before I further unravel this nonsense and fully explain it to you, many of us should be asking, if we haven't already, why Israel? This is a land of peace. This is a 
land that wants peace with everyone. This is a land whose doors are open to every single individual on the face of the earth who simply wants to live in peace. Yet she and her people are the most hated nation and hated people on the face of the earth. It doesn't make any sense. So why? And Sandy alluded to this before. And she's right. The answer is in the Bible in Genesis. And let me give you the verse that she was referring to. Here's your answer, everybody. If you know this verse, you get it. This is the verse that explains it all. You don't have to be confused. Why is this happening? I'm confused. Read your Bible. Our God is the God of order and not confusion. Is the order. I'll read it to you. The verbiage may be complicated, but then I'll break it down, and all of a sudden you'll go, wow, I got it. That makes perfect sense. Now I understand. Genesis 3.15. I will put hostility or enmity or tension between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall thinly bruise your head, and you shall only bruise his heel. Here's what's going on. The scene is the Garden of Eden. And the serpent, if you will, has just tempted Eve with the forbidden fruit that she's about to give to Adam. And of course, sin takes its radical spread. And God addresses these comments to the serpent. And, and he basically says, you know, between that woman and you, there's going to be hostility. There's going to be tension. There's going to be opposition. And here's what's going to happen. This woman one day is going to have a child. And it says that that, that, it, what, that child will be her seed. Biblically, biblically, only the man can have the seed. The only way the woman can have the seed is if this child comes as a result of a virgin birth. So guess who's being referred to here? The one to come. Are you with me on this? So, thousands of years ago, God put the enemy on notice that there's someone who's coming, his name is Yeshua, and you're going to go up in a battle with him. And isn't that the way Revelation says it's supposed to take place? Now, here's what you're seeing. Here's what the one who will descend from you. Let's just call him Satan or the beast or hot Satan. Here's what's going to happen in this war. First of all, her seed or Yeshua in this battle is going to fatally bruise your head. He's going to destroy you. You're done. And all you're going to be able to do is bruise Yeshua on the heel. That's a non-fatal wound. Yeah, you may put him in the grave, but he's not staying there. He's getting up. So devil, you lose, and he wins. So should it, should it really surprise any of us? That a long time ago, the devil, God put the enemy on notice that the one who is coming after you, the one who will bring about your demise, is the son and the very epitome of Israel and the king of the Jews. Shouldn't surprise any of us that the devil, the enemy, has a vested interest in going after the people of his line and after the land he calls home. No wonder. No wonder. All of these hate groups want the annihilation of Israel. Don't you understand who is fueling it? Because the devil says, you know, I know that, that my destruction would come after Yeshua comes back to Israel. But wait a minute, I got a great idea. Yeshua can't come back to Israel if there's no Israel. So let me get people to destroy Israel. That way he can't come back. The plan is thwarted and I win. And that explains everything that's happening now, and that explains anti-Semitism, and that explains just about every other thing of why the world hates Jews, and why several years ago, a man walked into Tree of Life, thank God it wasn't this one, synagogue near Squirrel Hill in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and took and just mowed down Jewish people in there who were worshiping on Shabbat when the police arrested him. I think his name was Robert Bowers. It doesn't matter. They said, why did you do this? He said, I just want to kill Jews. Now you know. 
Several hours after this occurred, I got a call from some people and they asked this question. They said, Rabbi, is the Israel Hamas war a prophetic sign? People are starting to talk about the Ezekiel War, this well. Is, is, is this it? Is this prophecy? Is it the Ezekiel War? I don't think so, everybody. But could it be a sign of something else? I think so, everybody. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Can I turn your attention to Psalm 83? Verses 5 through 9 that speak about a coalition of nations that come against the land of Israel. Listen to what the verses say. Come, they say, let's wipe Israel out as a nation. Let Israel's name be remembered no more. For with one mind they plot together, and against you do they make a covenant. The tents of Eden and the Ishmaelites, Moab, the Hakrites, Gebal, Ammon, and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre. Even Assyria has joined them, becoming a strong arm for Lot's sons. Who are those nations that would conspire in the days of Psalm 83 to come against Israel? There's a man named Bill Salas. He and I almost met. I wish we could. Maybe we will. He's written two books. One is called Israelistine. <laughs> Don't worry. He's on our team. And the other book is called Psalm 83, the missing prophecy revealed. And what he did was he basically said, here's what I want to do with these books. I want to tell you who these ancient names are really pointing to of who will come against Israel. Get ready. Here it is. The tents of Eden, Palestinians, and southern Jordanians. The Ishmaelites, the Saudis, Moab, Palestinians, and central Jordanians. The Hakrites, Egyptians. I'm thankful we have a peace treaty of Egypt right now, but who knows what that's going to do. Gebal or Biblos, Hezbollah, and the northern Lebanese, Ammon, Palestinians, and northern Jordanians, Amalek, the Arabs of the Sinai area. Look at this next one. Philistia, Hamas, of the Gaza Strip, Tyre, Hezbollah, and southern Lebanese, Assyria, the Syrians, and northern Iraqis. Do you see that I've yellowed in many of those groups and they are coming after Israel right now? Could we be in the throes of Psalm 83 right now? I'll give you a deeply theological answer. I don't know. <laughs> but I know that we need to watch. We need to pay attention. We need to look at the signs and we need to see that what is happening unfortunately is in Bible prophecy. But my friends, we need to be on the right side. Because when Yeshua comes one day, and he will, and Israel will be there, despite the, the desires of so many to wipe her off the face of the earth, he will stand on the Mount of Olives and the mountain will split in two. And when that mountain splits in two, I am telling you, there will be those on one side who will be for Israel, on another side who will be against Israel. And I pray that everyone comes on the right side. Because at that time, if they don't, boy, is there going to be you-know-what to pay. Closing thoughts for you now. As I finish up this message, it's been a while since I've spoken about this. Some years ago, I was asked and took the opportunity to be the keynote speaker at the Governor's Prayer Breakfast at Carroll College in Helena, Montana. It was on a beautiful Shabbat morning. There were about 700 people there, representatives from, from all over the state. And the reason they invited me is because they wanted to know how can we bless and support Israel. And they sent the word out across the state of Montana. And I'm, I'm, I'm there and just meeting everybody. 
uh, you know, beforehand. And uh, all of a sudden, a, a woman comes over to me and she says, Rabbi Jack, she said, I just want to let you know there were protesters outside. <laughs> and uh, I said, I'm going to go out there and meet them. See, because, you know, when you grow up in, in Brooklyn and you hear protesters, you're like, oh, they must be massive I'm going to go out there, at least take a photo and send it home to Sandy and impress her. But, but, you know. Go out there and see these protesters. She said, don't do, don't, don't do that. I said, it's okay. I'm from New York. Don't worry about it. That's about as funny as this story is going to get. And so I went out there to confront this massive group of protesters. And here we are, everybody. You know, there used to be, it's like a painting or, or it's like a cereal box, New Country Cornflakes. Remember the guy with the, the you know, the, the, the rake and the woman next to him? I, I, I keep getting that picture, I don't know why. So I go out and I meet these two protesters and I say, can I, can, may I take a picture of you? And they say, oh yes, please, my Great. So I take the photo and then I say to the guy, I say, okay, your sign says Christ is peace. I like your sign. He said, thank you so much. I'm like, you're welcome. I said, yeah, protesters. This is like we're having coffee clutch over here. And then I looked at the sign that the, the woman with the, the shmata, I'm sorry, the creature was holding on to. says, free Palestine. And I said, your sign, I don't like as much. I said, why are you holding up that sign? She said, and, and she gave the same answers that all of you are hearing today. Israel is committing apartheid. Israel is, is occupying Palestinian territory. Israel is targeting innocent civilians. I've just gone through the whole laundry list. And I said, okay, can I ask you a couple of questions? She said, sure. I said, um, have you ever heard of someone by the name of Yasser Arafat? She said, no. <laughs> Anwar Sadat, Gamal Abdel Nasser, Sheikh uh, Hassan Nasrallah, uh, the UN Partition Plan of 1947, the Six Day War of 1967, the Yom Kippur War of 1973. Um, have you, any of those, any of those things ring the bell? She said, I haven't heard about any of them. I said, what are you doing with that sign? What are you doing? You are making a statement and arriving at a position and a conclusion on something that you just admitted to me you know absolutely nothing about. I said, look, it's a beautiful Saturday morning in Montana. Look at those hills. You should go up and go hiking. Go have a good time. What are you doing? <laughs> I encourage you. I encourage you to go do a study on those things that I asked you about. Look at the history. Educate yourself. You're mouthing from the media. And then I promise you, if you do, you will never come out holding up a sign like that again if you have an open mind and fair judgment. She didn't say a word. But before I finish up, I want to ask my wife Sandy to come forward because I know that she has some words to share with you. Yeah. I'm just going to take two minutes. I want. Yep. I just got this from my daughter. Jack's family, um, 
is, is we love them all so dearly, but they are very liberal-minded. They believe in gay marriage, they believe in abortion, they believe in all the things that we do not. And my sister-in-law's children um, have been very outspoken about those kind of issues, that everybody has the right and so forth and so on. You know, sometimes we think with our children going astray or away from the Lord, that there's not a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, I'm going to read to you what my nephew, Colby, who is extremely liberal, said to my daughter. It is time for American liberals to finally wake up and recognize what is happening. To all of you who consider yourselves human rights and social justice advocates, to all of you passionate college students, to all of you who identify as progressive, whose mission is a fair and equitable world, what you just witnessed had nothing to do with Palestinian freedom or justice. Now mind you, this is from a 21-year-old who has said that he's liberal progressive. The bloody massacre you just witnessed is called pogrom and has been perpetuated upon Jewish people for centuries. What you witnessed was a highly coordinated extermination of Jewish life. There is no political excuse or justification for it. Skipping quickly past sympathy for the Israeli victims and moving right along to discussing the plight of the Palestinians is exactly the kind of response Hamas is aiming for. They want their butchering of Jews to be rationalized, justified, and sanitized. They want the result, resulting global spike in hate crimes against Jews to be ignored. And that's exactly what people have been doing. The only appropriate response to this program is to call it what it is and condemn it. We can no longer allow murderous evil to masquerade as freedom fighting. If your response is, yes, but, you need to take a moment to ask yourself why the indiscriminate killing of civilians is defensible to you in this one and only case. Mind you, my nephew, 21, he just he sent this out not only to my daughter, but to all his college because he goes to Villanova in Philadelphia. Not sure. I think it's Villanova. Hamas is a terrorist organization whose very existence is predicted, pre, pre, predicated on murder and oppression. And not just of Jews, by the way. You who are reading this would also be gleefully dragged naked through the streets, raped, tortured, or killed for your blasphemy. Hamas, and by the way, he has a lot of gay friends, so I'm assuming he's talking to them. Hamas are not freedom fighters. They are extremely extremist religious death cult. The only appropriate response to their insanity is a unilateral rejection of barbarianism and mass murder as a political and religious tool. You must finally understand that this isn't their response to anything. This is just the plan. The plan. It's always been the plan. They are mass murderers with no moral case whatsoever. It is time for you, my liberal friends, you who have enjoyed the luxury of armchair Middle East activism 
from the distance and safety of your American homes to recognize and condemn evil when you see it. If Hamas were on our soil, it would be your grandmother getting kidnapped. It would be your wife getting raped. It would be your babies being orphaned and beheaded. It is time to stand up. When I was growing up, the Holocaust was still recent, enough that we all knew survivors and were educated about the horrors of the Nazi genocide. A third of my people were exterminated. Today, Holocaust awareness is so low that its very existence is up for debate. Yes. Are you kidding me? That is the outrageous backdrop of this conversation. The most well-known Nazi pogrom was Kristallnacht. Kristallnacht, or the Night of the Broken Glass, when Nazis burned thousands of Jewish business and synagogues, then rounded up to be taken to concentration camps. This slaughter by Hamas resulted in 10 times more deaths. I'm not gonna tell you what he says next. 10 blank times. <laughs> Don't hide behind your complicated feelings about the Israeli government. There are thousands of Israelis and Jews who have been tirelessly protesting the street against Netanyahu regime for years. They got murdered too. This isn't a political stance. It's about standing up for extreme evil. To those of you who think of yourselves as allies, now is the time to speak up. Your Jewish friends need you. Colby, Mizar, 21. His father, Nir, is from Israel. We have family living in Haifa and Jerusalem. And friends that live in Israel too who are caught up in this madness. What do we do now? What do we take from what we've been taught today? We use it. Because for too long, the other side has been spouting these things. And we haven't given back answers. And this is not a criticism. We haven't given back complete answers because maybe we just didn't know how to. Maybe no one told us or showed us. Didn't have been told. Didn't have been showed. Now we can all respond with the truth. And after so many, so many decades and years of persecution, it's about time that we did. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, there is truth and there is deception. And there are so many out there whose minds are blind. And we ask that you would open up their minds, open up their hearts, and give them ears to hear and to listen. And making the desire to know truth for them greater than the desire to save face. Dispel the myths. Get the truth out of there once and for all, Lord God. And take the minds and the hearts of those who are so, so entrenched and bitter against Israel and soften them so that they may become not only believers if they're not already, but those who desire, who crave love and peace for all. 
We love you, Lord. We give you all the praise, honor, and glory in the precious and holy name of Yeshua and everyone who would say. Amen. I believe we have Kiddush and Motsi out in the hallway. So here's what I'm going to do. Three things. I'm going to say the blessing over the grape juice, and I'll say the blessing over the challah, bread. Uh, and then after I do that, we felt here at the congregation, our leadership, that the best way to close this service today was not for me necessarily to pronounce the priestly blessing or the Aaronic benediction over you, even though that's a wonderful thing. But on a day like this when we stand for Israel, we want to close with the playing on a video of Marty Getz, and I believe his daughter Misha singing Hatikva, the national anthem of the state of Israel. For the fruit of the vine, that we'll have in a few minutes. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. For the bread that we will partake in in a few minutes. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the bread from the earth and who reminds us that Yeshua is our bread, our sustenance, and our bread of life. I will stick around with you for a couple of minutes, but after that I've got to head to the airport. Because there's a church in Oklahoma that says, we need you to help us make sense out of this. Would you be with us Sunday morning? And I said, oh yeah. Before I go, I want to do one more thing. We have made a commitment here to receive a love offering for the nation of Israel today. And as we're preparing, guys, you know, this is your department, however you want to do it, you want to pass plates or whatever it happens to be. This is going towards several areas, and let me explain. There are Israeli soldiers out there in the battlefield who are in need of supplies, who are in need of equipment, who are in need of some, some simple things that, that we have. We also want to make sure, because as you can imagine, through the damage and through the carnage, People have not only lost other people, they've lost homes, they've lost lives, they've lost cars, they have no food. They, they don't have a place to live. And there are organizations in Israel that we do partner with that are going to make sure that they are taken care of as well. And we're talking women, children, single mothers, pregnant mothers, you name it. Those who tend to be forgotten. And so as this offering is being received, I'll ask that you would give generously all the money is going toward that cause. Meet us out in our fellowship area. I'll spend a few minutes with you and then I have to go. And please watch this video of Hatikva, the Israel National Anthem. Let's play that right now. Maybe you should sing this. Let's try this. Please do stand if you can. Oh, she 
Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. You are dismissed.